0: Welcome to Unbroken Jars. I'm Doug. And I'm Randy. And this is a podcast where we explore individuals' real life stories in real faith. You're listening to Unbroken Jars, episode 34, more than just about basketball. The light of Jesus shines through the darkness, and we carry this light in Unbroken Jars of Clay. We have a life and a story about our faith journey, but we're not struck down or destroyed. Our stories shine the light on Jesus and His power. Our faith walk has forever been shaped by the life of one man, that's Jesus. Jesus continues to use these real-life stories of those around us to mold us. We dive into this world by investigating, interviewing, and walking alongside real people who share their stories. Their faith stories of struggle, sin, joy, and victory, and how God is leading them will help shape your faith journey in unbroken jars of clay. Those listening, we are back. I know this is it's been a it's been a long gap since you've heard from Randy and I, and that is uh, not intentional. But it is it's difficult getting people lined up and getting people in here. And but we're back after the New Year, and I hope everyone had a great Christmas, a great New Year, and um, we're excited to be here. We do have uh, several people already lined up for the year, so uh, the plan is that we will get them in here and begin the process of working through uh, and actually be more consistent in 2024 but today we're really excited to have ronnie stapler with us also known as coach ronnie we were just discussing this before before we began uh coach stapler coach uh who who knows what all but um today he's going to share a little bit about his life and how god has worked in his life and um uh, and how god is kind of writing his story and he's going along with it um so i we appreciate you joining us thank you very much thank
1: y'all for having me it's a pleasure.
0: Yeah, Doug
2: and I both do really feel honored to have Ronnie with us on this this month. And uh, we, bo- Doug and I, both know Ronnie and his wife Nancy through our connection with them here at, at Mayfair Church, where they are members, as well as their son Scott and his wife Amy and their children. Uh, but I, I pretty much have been a lifetime resident of Huntsville, and I was made aware of Ronnie years ago as a basketball coach in the Huntsville City School System for here here for many years. Um, Ronnie, our our coach, uh, thanks for joining us on Unbroken Jars today.
1: Well, I'm 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 anxious to do this, and I really appreciate you guys having me. Yeah,
0: well, we're glad you're here. You know, one of the things that we try to do with every person that comes in here, and if you ever listen to any of these, you know what it is. It's kind of tell us a little bit about your your family life, growing up. You, um, where'd you grow up, and um, you know, eventually, we'd we'd also like to hear about how you and Miss Nancy got together and, and met and created a family here in Huntsville. But we're interested to know, tell us a little bit about your growing up life.
1: Well, I was born and raised in Madison County. Yeah. Uh, my All my relatives lived out around Cedar Point. My grandmama and granddaddy lived around Cedar Point over there. and then. Uh, I'm my, not real
0: sure where Cedar Point
1: is. I, is
2: I actually have, have filled in for a preacher at Cedar Point over the years. Yeah, up there, yeah. a, where in, is Cedar Point?
1: It's just uh probably on the east side of, of Madison County before okay. you get before you get on the about four miles from highway 72 if you go out the back way there toward Gurley about yeah. four or five miles from highway 72 that's
0: that's, that's near where I live I yeah. live in Ryland so. yeah
1: it's close to that yeah, and then, I got uh, you. Uh, all my relatives are there and then I was I was born and raised in Madison County and then uh, spent the early my formative years a lot of it around farley uh, my we lived in a place called redstone park for a while mm-hmm. and i attended farley elementary school for a couple of years and then uh we moved to huntsville my mom and dad moved to huntsville and um uh, i moved in, in into west huntsville and at that time, my granddad and grandmom helped my parents send me to Madison County Bible School, <laughs> the oh. old Madison Academy. So wow. I guess the third through the seventh grade, I went to Madison County Bible School. And at that time, hmm. uh, my mom was in an abusive relationship, a physically abusive relationship with my dad. And when she sought a divorce, she couldn't afford that anymore. And I left my I left. Madison County Bible School, and went to West Huntsville. Mm. I went to Westland Junior High, and then from Westland Junior High, I, my my education I finished at Butler in 1965, hmm. and and lived around West Huntsville there my whole life. Uh, probably spent most of my formative growing up hours at the McCormick YMCA <laughs> up there where I uh, I would. Leave home every morning, get on my bicycle, and I'd ride to the McCormick YMCA and stay there basically all day long till they closed the place up or till they came and got me. <laughs> and then after that, I played junior college basketball. I was the fourth best player on my high school team at Butler. Um, huh. We uh, we had a great team. My senior year, we were twenty eight and one. Wow. We only lost their last game in the in the first round of the state tournament to a team we had beaten by 24 and 31 points during the year. Oh man, that's the
0: worst. Oh. Yeah. And then, uh,
1: <laughs> but uh, got a chance to play college basketball. A junior college coach, Coach Glenn Clem, had called my high school coach, Coach T.E. Rogers, and asked to, to have one of my teammates come down there for a little tryout. He wanted to see him play, and Coach Rogers asked me if I'd just ride down there with him so the guy wouldn't have to ride by himself. So, <clears throat> unspent on to him, I packed my bag and my tennis shoes and my workout <laughs> shorts and all that, <laughs> uh, and I went and got in the workout, and the guy signed me and didn't sign that guy.
2: Get and out of just, town. <laughs> something else.
1: So. Uh,
0: what a cool story. <clears throat>
1: I played two years there and was had a really good career there, and then signed and played at Centenary College in Shreveport, Louisiana, and then and then after that uh, came back here. I was there for a year, and my my stepdad, who my mom had remarried at the time, my stepdad was in Vietnam, and my mom was having some a little bit of health issues. But more than anything, I was homesick, mm-hmm. and I was I had never been out of the state of Alabama hardly to do anything and I was 500 miles away in Shreveport, and I was homesick, and I wanted to come home and
0: came home and
1: played another year at at Florence State Teachers College, it was called then, (laughs) UNA now. Is that
0: UNA? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And met my wife there, which is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Met my wife there, uh, dated her for about a year, and we got married, and we ended up back here in Huntsville, both as I got a job at Grissom, has the of all crazy thing as a ninth grade football coach and the <laughs> ninth grade wrestling coach. And then she got a job at Ed White. She was a business teacher and got a job at Ed White. Oh wow. and that's that was our start here in the city of Huntsville.
0: Now why you say why did you say it was crazy as a football coach? <laughs>
1: Because I'd never played football. My my brother was a really good football player at Butler, but I never played football. Well, so I got the job, and then what my deal was, when I first got that job in that summer, every morning at 6 o'clock, I met our football coach at the gym, and he basically taught me how to teach all the fundamentals of coaching football. Oh, wow. And uh, then – (laughs) <laughs> I, co- I was the head coach for the freshman team for 18 years.
0: Get out of town. And
1: then actually co- helped coach quarterbacks on the varsity for three or four years of those years. So huh. it was, and then the, the most unique thing was coaching wrestling. I mean, I was... 22, I guess, and I had 17, 18-year-old boys wear me out to the point where <laughs> I got cauliflower ear once and all that sort oh, of stuff. Oh, man. Because I wouldn't wear a headgear. Oh. <laughs> and they basically taught me how to – the kids – To coach. Taught me how to coach yeah. wrestling.
2: Wow. I've heard of two-sport athletes, but you're like a
1: two-sport coach. You're <laughs> well, like a three-sport coach. Well, I coached <laughs> – while I was at Grissom, I coached golf – Golf, softball, basketball, wrestling, and football.
2: Now somebody – I'm jumping around here a little bit, but I think somebody – either Scott or somebody mentioned to me, you coached a softball team, and they may have won a championship or something with it? Or you did they well we with it? Co-
1: when I was coaching softball, it was fast pitch before they ever had a state championship. And there were years where we went four or five years in the city of Huntsville and never lost a game. But they, the girls didn't – they didn't have a state championship at that time. Uh, we had a girl play at Arizona State, a girl named Debbie Lee, who played shortstop at Arizona State. We had a girl named Terry Lorette, who was a pitcher. I think eventually went and played somewhere in college in Texas. But it was they were they would have the, we would have won several state championships had they had fast wow. pitch softball. Then. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I So, Ronnie, I, you know. I knew of you and your reputation just because of you coaching so for so long at Grissom and, and doing, that, doing as well as you do there. But I made a note here, uh, you retired this past year, correct? And after 53 seasons, I had to look twice at that, 53 seasons of coaching with four different schools, uh, 868 wins, I think it's third, your third place, I guess, among all coaches in the state of Alabama as far as win, wins. Does that sound right? And you went, I guess, at Grissom, Gunnersville, Randolph, Westminster. So I guess one of the most natural questions is, you know, what led you into choosing – it sounds like you just didn't coach basketball, but specifically basketball, going into coaching. What, what drew you to that?
1: Well, <clears throat> what drew me to coaching was because I basically had no relationship with a father. Uh, and when I was young, all the men in my life were my youth coaches. I mean, they, there's – To be honest, of course, my mom was a strict disciplinarian, and and she was an unbelievable woman, tough. Uh, But it was always about, for me, we had to be disciplined in everything we did. It was either, you know, I was going to do it right and my brother's going to do it right or she was going to make sure we did it right. (laughs) And then just all the influences of all the former youth coaches I had uh, that helped me through a lot of hard – you know, critical times in my life. That was basically, and it was all about after I got, you know, it was to the point where, you know, what can I do to help others like those people have helped me, you know, to have a servant's attitude about helping other people the way people had helped me to get to the point where I was in my life. And, and to be honest, if I hadn't had those people, I really, my mom did all she could do, but she was a single mom after the divorce. Who worked not two jobs, but three jobs. She actually worked two jobs during the week and took a third job on a Saturday a lot of times, just to make sure my brother and I had what we what we needed, not what we wanted. I mean, we didn't have a lot of what we wanted.
0: Right. We
1: had a, we had everything we needed, but we didn't have a lot of what we wanted.
0: Yeah.
1: And and. For those people who helped me, that was the biggest reason I got into coaching to try to uh, to help others and try to pay. You know, if you can pay back some of the things that you were given in your youth, and that was the biggest reason. Mm-hmm. And everybody in my life who had been a male figure had been some way involved in athletics or sports.
2: Was your mom? I just curious. Out of curiosity, was your mom? an athlete did she and what did she feel how did she feel about you going into this this uh, coaching thing
1: no my mom was not an athlete she <laughs> would this was a funny story when I was in high school she would come to every game and you could ask people she would come to every game she'd never watch the game she, uh, <laughs> she'd go in the bathroom she'd stay in the bathroom just about the whole game <laughs> and then in junior college by the, my junior college coach was a wonderful guy. He's a legendary junior college coach in Alabama, Coach Glenn R. Clem, and uh, she would she would do the same thing there because my nickname for him was Blockhead. He would call me you you stupid Blockhead. <laughs> <laughs> Cause, because I'd come down the floor and throw one off the wall or something, you know, and he'd call me a blockhead. So
0: <laughs> she would
1: stay in the bathroom during most of those games and wouldn't wouldn't even watch the game till the really? end of the game. She'd come out because she was afraid he was <laughs> going to get on me and call me a blockhead. Aww. She didn't
0: know what she was going to you
1: know, do. No, no, she didn't know. She didn't know what was going on. You no, know, she didn't know he was trying to help me be better than I was. <laughs> uh. Well, you,
0: it, I'm still interested. So I, I think this is part of this, but. You said you were hired as a football and a wrestling coach. I'm interested in how did you – obviously you had training and equipping in basketball. That was your skills because you went and played in junior college and stole sounds like a scholarship from somebody else, (laughs) Um, which I think is amazing. I feel like we should develop that story a little (laughs) bit. But but all that to say, um, I'm interested to know when did you get into the actual basketball coaching because it sounds like – that well, I, I wanted to I wanted to
1: coach basketball, but at the time jobs were so hard to get in Huntsville at those times. So if you had a chance to get a physical education teaching job, and like my wife was was got a business teaching job mm-hmm. at, at Ed White at the time, jobs were really hard to get. Now, what's Ed White? It was a, it was a, a junior high at that time. Okay, it's up, it's just, up on, on North Huntsville. Okay, yeah. Yeah. and. Jobs were so hard to get. You had to take what you could get. So right. the guy they hired me as the wrestling coach, or the freshman football coach and the wrestling coach, telling me eventually if any open came open that I could get into coaching basketball. Ah, well, the, I, I was the. Um, so after the first year, the guy who's the assistant basketball coach left. So th- for a year there, I coached freshman football. I'd go right out of football, <laughs> right into basketball. Yeah, and then I let I got to relieved of the wrestling after one year. I got relieved <laughs> of that, but I went right out of. I would coach my basketball team or football team from about three to five every day. Then I'd leave straight there when the two seasons overlapped, and I'd go coach the JV basketball team for like five thirty to seven thirty mm-hmm. every day, and then. Eventually uh, the, the head coach there, the guy that was the head coach left, and uh, <laughs> Sid Ingram, who was our principal, who was a wonderful person. He's the best educator I've ever been around. He called me in the office and said, "Hey, look, I think our coach is go- I think our coach is going to res- going to quit, going to resign. <laughs> I want you to have the job. I've got to interview probably 40 or 50 people for this job." If you tell anybody I said I was going to give you the job, I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> You're not ready for it. You're going to mess it up, but I'm going to back you. And I need huh. somebody here in this, in this community who lives in a community. I can always remember this, who lives in a community, shops in a community, goes to church in a community. I want somebody here that's going to be here a long time that can build us a program. I'm not worried about having a winning season. I want us to have a program here, an athletic program, that matches our academics, matches wow. our band mm. and all that. So he said, I'm going to give you the job. But then he told me all those you know, things, you're not ready for it, you're going to mess it up. But I always knew I had his support when he looked at me and said, hey, I'm going to back you. Yeah. And oh, my goodness, there were times I did mess it up. Mm. but you know what he always backed me and and he i'd go in those offices with those parents or whatever and and they'd leave there he'd make them think i was right when all the time i was wrong <laughs> <laughs> but, but mm. that just doesn't happen anymore with administration.
0: yeah yeah wow sounds like an amazing amazing man well that's i was kind of wondering the connection there because i was like wait a minute I know you got basketball skills, and I know you got you've done it for years. But I was trying to get that transition yeah. to how that happened.
2: I was. This is going to lead into the next thing you're going to ask Ronnie, but it's something that's not on here. That I, what about Miss Nancy and all this? I, I just I can't imagine the hours you probably put in coaching, especially when you're doing two sports back to back. Did she know she was getting into when she married a coach, or how did the, how did how how did that all work? Well, when
1: you. She had been a cheerleader in Athens High School, so I I think she knew a little bit about the time required to be an athlete and to to someone in coaching. But if you're going to get in coaching, that's the first prerequisite you better have. Mm -hmm. You better have a wife who understands that the time that you're going to put in. I try to tell young coaches that I help now is the first prerequisite, you better have a good spouse who understands that coaching is not a part-time job. It's not a full-time job. Coaching is an all-time job. Mm. It's not, and there would be, there and and she's the most wonderful person I've ever been around. She did an unbelievable job raising my two children, our two children, while I was trying to help raise other people's children. Mm. And she's the most patient, human being I've ever been around and I, I for and for her to have to put up with everything a coach is called by the buddy's first name when you're coaching is is amazing this what they have to go through and put up with too. But she's um she's an amazing woman and she um uh, she's done an unbelievable job or did an unbelievable job of raising our children and knowing that, that there was a lot of times I wasn't gonna be there. There would be times where Coaching wise, I would get home so late, especially when Scott was young. Scott would be in bed, and then I'd be up and gone two or three days a week before he ever woke up in the morning wow. to get up. To, and it, it it was it was hard, and if you don't have someone who believes in what you do and and believes in you and understands the time and and that that, that you're away from those children, it, it's it's a rough life.
0: Mm-hmm. I uh. I know that about coaches. I and it's uh you know, it's interesting. I love I, I I'm a marriage guy. Like I do a lot of marriage stuff. I'm it's it it's good to hear you say um and for those listening that are in young marriages or even in marriages that have been together for a long time, the idea of of understanding that what you're getting into the understanding that you got to be patient with the other person where they are. I just, just recently my wife's, um, she, she told this story again when we were talking about a class where she said her mom told her from the beginning, you know, he's a hunter, right? <laughs> you know that during hunting season, when, when he's off work, he's going to be hunting. And my wife really encourages me to do that. And that, that sounds like what you're talking about is that, she was there, she knew what she was getting into, she knew your heart and y'all were a team.
1: Well, you have you have to understand that. Then the the times that you have to give back to her and give to your children, you have to make sure that you that you do that. That, that you're present. That you're present and do right? that. So Absolutely. the summer times Basically, in the spring, I was doing usually doing something in the spring too. I was when they got older, I tried to make sure that I never actually was the head coach of any of their youth teams, but I always tried to help someone when they coached their youth teams. Yeah, so I could always be around Christy and Scott and be, and you know, I was around them every day doing that in the spring and summer, right? And then in the summer times, when I left to go to the gym during the day. In the times, so when Scott was six years old, and uh, I guess it, starting at six, he went with me every day. Yeah. I mean, he, he went with me and stayed with me every day at the gym. and it, You know, he was just a gym rat. Yeah. And then Christy, yeah. she would go with me, but I, about an hour she'd be in the gym. Next thing I know, she'd be up in the building answering the phone at the front <laughs> office or doing something up there. You know, she wasn't interested in working on her game or anything. She was up there socializing. Yeah,
0: got to be with the but,
1: people. But – the point was they were with me that yeah. whole time yeah. I, they were with me five six four five six hours a day all all the summertime and that gave nancy some relief from having to look after them and and spend all her time and energy with you know yeah. doing doing things finding things for them to do
0: uh, that's that that's my point exactly as y'all were a team yeah and 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 you may not have even known it that's the that commitment piece and and trying to understand is it's really important that's um, so obviously you, you've talked about this even before you were getting in some of the challenges, but what are some of the challenges and obstacles that you face kind of throughout your life? And, um, and, and we've kind of written it up with your goal of becoming a high school, uh, coach, but I want to, I'd love to expand that even more. Just what are, what are some of the, the obstacles you faced in your growing up life? You were talking about someone before with a father that, um, was was um not the ideal father um but what are some of the other things that you faced throughout life um that have kind of shaped you
1: well my father was uh, was an was an alcoholic and uh, was was physically abusive to both to my mother and my brother and i and there came a point in my mom's life where she was threatened with a gun And it got to the point where she had to make a decision. Either I stay in this relationship and I really don't know what's going to become of it, or I get out of this relationship and try to save my life and save the life of my children because he would physically abuse her, physically abuse us. And then that was the hardest thing, I guess, being, you know, seeing her have to go through that. But then that was sort of the things that molded me how tough she was and how disciplined she was she never missed a day of work because of all that mm. and it was all the time she was striving to make sure that like I said before that we had everything that we needed you know to to be successful mm-hmm. and then as I as you the obstacle in coaching you have to understand that kids are not any different now than they were 40 years ago they have more access, like we talked about earlier. Right. They have more access to information and stuff, but they're really they're really no different. Parents are different, you yeah. know. There's so much expectations for children now, about from parents, uh, I was at three AAU tournaments this summer that my my one of my grandsons were playing in, and I saw I've seen three adults get thrown out of an AAU tournament. <laughs> just, just being stupid, you know, and that's that's the problem nowadays. They just not the, it's not the kids. Kids will still do whatever you ask them to do, if they know you care about them. If they know you have a genuine interest in them and that you care about them, mm-hmm. they'll run through a brick wall for you. You have to build those relationships with them, and that's sometimes that's one of the most difficult obstacles you have in as a coach because they hear all this outside noise and stuff. You know, they, they get what you want them to do for two hours, and then they go home and they get all this dinner time coaching yeah.
0: by, by,
1: mm. by people who, pardon the expression, but all they know about the sport is they can ride on a chewing gum wrapper. <laughs> right. You know, but you're, you're having to overcome that. Mm. And then you have to be, with today's kids, you have to be everything. You have to be a coach. You have to be a counselor. You have to be a therapist. Yeah. You have to be their father. In, in a lot of cases, you have, to, you have to fulfill a lot of roles. And coaching is a lot more than just if you're as a coach, you can't be consumed with winning because if you, all you worry about is, is winning, you can never win enough. Yeah, and you you yeah. have to be concerned about the growth and development of those people outside of you know what they're going to be when they're twenty five or what they're going to be from when they're thirty yeah. is what you worry about more than what winning a game. I, I and I don't use personal pronouns, but I never worried about winning a game. I, mm-hmm. That was never winning a hundred games or two hundred games. I never worried about that. Always tried to to worry about, you know, for us, and it's a cliche, but us being, making young men and women the best player they could be every day, but then working on other things where they could be a better person every day than they mm-hmm. were the day before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if and if all you, and kids, they're smart. They see if all you care about is winning the game. They, they figure that out nowadays, and, and they, they won't play for you if that's all you're worried about is, is winning the game. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I see that in you. Just before we were, before we started recording this, we were talking about people that, that you had, that you knew from school or from their history and in your past across crossed and, and and I saw that come out. I saw your heart come out where you were saying, "I can't believe that this person is on the streets," and I can't believe, you know, this guy. He was an amazing athlete and and. That says something to your character, and realizing that you want something more than just, just for them to make you a better, <laughs> a better record, right? That you're wanting to make a better life for them. Um, and I appreciate you saying that. I'm sure there are people. You know, you, you mentioned um, having a father that was abusive. Um, who, because of that, you, you talked about, you know, him not even being present at all, and when he was present, it was primarily, you know, you told a story earlier to us about him not being present, uh, especially after 18, and the checks stopped rolling in, but, so who are the people that you look to, Who who are the people that influence you, that served as mentors to you, that you can kind of say, you know, this person encouraged me during this time, these are the people that I kind of look to.
1: Well, during my formative years, preteen years, there was a guy that went to church with us at Jordan Park Church Christ when I went there, a guy named Rod Summers, Sr. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rod was an elder there. He was also a basketball official. <laughs> and he's he spent a lot of time with me. I mean, um, never coached me or anything, but he spent a lot of time with me, every chance he got. I mean, he was – I was in a lot of his – I tried – Every time we had a change of classes at church or whatever that he taught, I, for teenagers and youth, I always try to go get in that class because <laughs> he, he meant a lot to me, yeah. and he spent a lot of time with me during my formative years. And then my high school basketball coach, Coach uh, Cotton Rogers, mm. was a, a great man that, that that helped me mold my life in, in a lot of the things that I I look back, a lot of the things that I – do and my thinking about a lot of things he helped create and then probably the greatest was my junior college basketball coach hmm. coach Glenn Clem he was like I told you earlier he was a legendary junior college coach and he he was an unbelievable relationship with people I mean he treated the, the custodian to the guy who cleaned the, the custodian who cleaned the restroom to the guy who cleaned the gym he treated them all like they were they were kings and queens and he treated all of us like that now hmm. he he would get on us but I never left the gymnasium when he was critical of anything I did or hmm. our practice that I didn't think that guy cared about me and loved right. me and cared about me and he was really I guess the first man first male that ever looked me in the face and told me he loved me oh, you wow. know so when you're you know, when you've been through a, a traumatic a traumatic wasn't so traumatic but because I had an unbelievable mother but you've been through the things you've been through in life without a a, um, a male figure in your life besides your youth coaches and stuff like that then that was really important to me for a man a, a grown man to tell me that that he loved me mm-hmm. and uh, that he cared about me yeah. And that's that's sort of been one of the things in my coaching is I, you know, I try to tell those guys and gals that I love them, you know, Mm -hmm. that I I care about them. And coaching is basically you have to do three things. You have to challenge your kids to be the best people and the best players they they can be. You have to support them. Challenge them, support them, and they all have to know – that you'll be there when they need you. Mm-hmm. You know, that might be when you're 15, it might be when you're 20, it might be when you're 25, mm-hmm. but you'll always be there when they need you. And that's what I've always and I'm, you know, I, I've acted like a fool out here sometimes yelling, hollering, screaming at some of these games, but I've always tried to get them to understand that I'll always be there when you need me.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you had kids come back that kind of leaned on that promise before
1: yes and it's like you know I'm not one of those guys that beats myself on the chest I, I really don't don't want people to know what I do or what I did I mean that's one so but I paid the rent for a bunch of them you know mm-hmm. I've, 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 a lot of stuff you do like that I've let them borrow money I paid the rent you know and I it just things that you do that you don't want people to know you do right I yeah. mean but 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 to understand that you know hey you need me I'm gonna do whatever I can yeah. to be there support you and help you through whatever problem that you're, you're in and right I've always I always made two big things about when my players and my team one is just about every practice uh, we, we always start with to tell them to, to love people and use things, not use people and love things. Mm. And that's sort of been that I try to get all that. That we care about you. We mm-hmm. want you to be good people. But but we'll always be there when you need us.
2: I see. I see some parallels, Ronnie, with you know, so with ministry. Because because do you feel? Because you've already talked. I think you've already done a great job of talking about how you. Not only teach the principles of basketball and try to tell, talk about the principles of life and how to live, but what what do you? How do I say this? When you see a kid and you you see them headed in a just they're headed to a bad in a bad direction, and but you've only got them for a few hours at school, and you know what they're going back into when they go home. How do you? deal with that i guess you know how do you you, i know you can't save everybody we've learned that that in ministry but how do you how do you handle that and how do you try to try to cope with that knowing that that maybe you've done all you can do and now it's it's this this boy or this girl has got to make this decision on their own to follow what you're trying to teach them
1: I think the first thing you have to do is you have to, like a story of like Doug's job, is you have to get what you have to sit them down as many times you can and try to explain okay, if you do this, this, here's the repercussions. Everything we do, we have choices we make in life. This is probably what's going to happen if you make this choice. Now, if you'll let us, we can help you maybe not make that bad choice. But it's the decision when you get to be 15, 16, 17 years old, most, you know, you've, your moral values are established. Mm. So it's, you know you have to there has to be an agent of change there and you have to try I think to show them hey you know we can help you change this behavior but as we all know with spiritually anything to make a change there's got to be a change in behavior. Yeah. You know there has to be a change there. Or you're not going to change, and you try to. I think try to do as much as you can to try to to try to get them to understand the choice you're about to make and the and the consequences that are going to happen if you make this choice. And it's not going to be. Um, it's not. It may be one of them. You know, five minutes of pleasure may cause you fifty years of misery. And yeah. you know that's what you try to get them to figure out. You know this this might be a long. You make this choice, and it might be a long term consequence that you have to put up with mm-hmm. because you made this choice. Yeah.
0: You know I. It, you made the connection for me. I realize where you got your coaching philosophy. Whether you call it a coaching philosophy or not, I don't know if you thought through it that way. But it's it's that people cared for you, and loved you despite whether you were the best basketball player or the worst basketball player but <clears throat> you were talking about I think you said his name was coach Clem excuse me <clears throat> made a difference when he told you he loved you and that impacted you and and along the way I I know that you you said it that you you tell these kids that you love them and you may be the only one telling them that yes and 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 and, and I'm sure that that probably harkens back memories every time you do and you see somebody going through a tough life situation and you can say, I understand because I've not been in your situation, but I've been in a situation and um, they may not have both. So it's, it's cool to see how your philosophy of coaching and life was shaped uh, by people in your life. And that's sort of what this whole podcast for us is about. Mm -hmm. It's like, is telling our stories so people know that they are influencers, like we all are influencers. No matter if we have a coaching position or if we go sit next to somebody in a desk, um, in a cubicle somewhere, we all are influencers uh, in some way or another. So I appreciate you kind of sharing that and um, developing that.
1: Well, I think everywhere we've been, there are five things that that uh, that that. Well, spiritually and with we're trying to build a, 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 ba- a athletic program, a basketball program. There, I don't know what you call them—core values or pillars of your program or whatever. But there are five things that we've always, everywhere we've been, tried to build our build our build our program on. It has more to do with with building people than building than winning games. And one is humility. Mm-hmm. You know, is is you got to We got to know who we are. That's the first thing. And then, second thing is, is passion. You know, you can't be, as we know in the in our biblical, you can't be lukewarm about anything. So we, you know, you have to have a passion for, for playing or for being a part of this team. You you have to have passion. The third thing is unity. Mm-hmm. You know, we you can't do anything that dis, that divides our team. You know, our, our divides our program. And the fourth thing is, is servanthood. You know, what kind of teammate are you? You know, are you willing to do things that people are not going to know or be seen about to be a really good teammate? Yeah. And then the last thing is thankfulness, that we're grateful in every circumstance that we have mm-hmm. in life, that we're grateful for it. And those are the five things that m- – you're giving you know that we talk about a lot we try to talk about one of those things every week or so about one of those things is they're not core values or pillars they're just things that i think are important mm-hmm. in the program and the to me the probably the the most important thing is humility the man who humbles himself shall be exalted the man yeah. who exalts himself shall be humbled mm. and you just have to understand that it's never, never your marriage, anything in life is never just about you. All right. It's never about you. And when you get to the point where it's all about you, then <laughs> bad things are probably going to happen. Yeah. And, and I want to go back to to people who've helped me to mentor me, and I have two wonderful kids. And... Uh, my daughter is an unbelievable mother and wife mm. but my son uh, i've never if you don't like my son there's probably something matter with you
0: yeah that's true because is,
1: he's yeah. a he's a he's about as good a person as i've ever <clears throat> been around yeah mm. he's just a good good
0: dude yeah mm. he is yeah and that speaks a lot to his parents well
1: to my wife. <laughs>
0: well, uh, yes, um, but his, uh, y- your wife wasn't alone in that process, and and listening to some of the things that you had to do in order to shape your life and bring your kids along, it's like I remember Gary Bradley used to always say, "If Mom and Daddy are, are good, the kids are gonna be good," and 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 there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, and and and. You're right. Scott's an unbelievable character of a man. You know,
1: it's interesting you say that because it, there's a <laughs> lot of things I was very, I was, <laughs> I wasn't very social in high school. I mean, I had, I really was not embarrassed, but there was just a lot of things I couldn't do or couldn't participate in because financially, sure, I I couldn't. But I always remember when when I would be. Uh, Approached by something that might not be something I'd want to do, I'd always ask myself one question: What would my mother think if I did this? Mm-hmm. And how hard she'd work to to provide for me and to be the, the, such an example she would. You know, if she found out I did this, how would she feel? And I never did a lot, I never did a lot <laughs> of stupid stuff. Yeah. Because I was afraid that she might find out, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and would be embarrassed by it. Not that it would be embarrassed by it. So that was, you know, going back to the to yeah. being a good parent. And I, I just didn't do stuff because I was I was afraid that it might hurt her or it might bring reproach upon her. And that was that we <clears throat> and our philosophy coaching. I've never had a bunch of rules like. If you're late for practice, you going to run 10 lines. If you're late the second time, I'm not going to dress you out. We always had one rule, and it's about standards and not rules. Don't do anything that brings reproach up on first your team, second your parents. do mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Don't do anything that brings reproach up on your, par- your your team, your school, are most of all your parents, mm-hmm. and you can you can you can do you can deal with a lot of things with a repro you know, a discipline in a lot of different ways by having a, not having a bunch of rules. If well, we always know if you have a bunch of rules, rules are going to be broken. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so you have to try to have standards <laughs> instead of rules.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, we we. We've covered so much here, I'm trying to figure out exactly. I,
2: I, well, maybe jumping in. So in the middle of all this stuff that you faced, Ronnie, how did you see God working? In, in, I mean, even, I know it's really dark times growing up, but spiritually, it sounds like your mother was a spiritual role model for you, but could you talk about how you've seen God working in your life as you reflect back over all these years now, looking back from when you are little to where you're at now?
1: I guess you know I told you earlier that I don't think I ever missed a church service till I was 15 16 years old. I mean if it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, mm-hmm. Wednesday night, if we had gospel meeting, we was on that fourth or fifth row every night and it just that was that was just part of my fabric of it. that was, God was a big, was was the I mean I I was I mean we had a devotional every night. I mean, she—I mean, I—I I, I didn't participate at all, but I could see my mom every night before she went to bed. She got that Bible out and she read her Bible. And wasn't a great example she was. And then I think I don't we could, you know, there was always maybe a plan for me to do this because this is all I ever wanted to do was help others and and you know try to share my experiences, and help others. And uh, I probably, there's been a lot of times I've failed, but I think probably church and worship has been a, you know, been a, a factor in my life, my whole life, you know, at different places. And, and, and the, the best people that I have the biggest, the best relationships with, are all godly men and women Mm. who and you know if if it's not a priority in life those aren't the kind of people that are going to be in your life so that's that's sort of been a and one of my best friends now is a guy that lives in oklahoma city a guy named dan hayes that i met in coaching about 50 years ago and he and i still talk about once every two months he was a head coach at oklahoma christian college Mm. for 30 years and he's also been a big influence in my life, and we shared stuff. We shared, you know, spiritual stuff, and we shared basketball stuff. But, th- you know, those are the kind of people. And I, I'll be honest with you, I'm taken aback by what you do, and what you've done uh, here with the youth here, and then what Doug does here, and and what jason does here and what gary bradley did here has done here for years and what a good you know what a good example we have in him and then all the stuff that mayfair does here to to help other people uh, it's it's amazing what we do here
0: that's uh, it it takes people with hearts churches are are gathering place for people with hearts and honestly, ministers are a lot of organizers more than anything else. is, hey, let's do this. But it's people like yourself that engage in the world around us that that really take the heart of God to the community because that's where. And I, hearing you talk, you can point to us as labeled ministers, but you've been ministering for years. And you've had uh, more opportunities than we've had because we get kind of the church people who, tend to be more put together, at least in our, in our world today, and if they're not put together, they're at least faking it, right, when they come here. But you get to see firsthand. You get to touch firsthand. You get to be in the middle of these young people's lives and have for many years who God has, um, has used you in some really powerful ways, I know, to impact this community. And if we could kind of get all all people, all people that call on the name of Christ to realize that that they have that impact if they just live for Christ and and love people around them like you were saying earlier, that God's gonna do amazing things and keep working.
1: One of my I lost one of my former players about fifteen years ago. And I went to the church service, and this, made a huge, this may have been longer than 15 years ago. And the minister who preached the sermon, I didn't know any—I knew, I knew this player. I'd had him. I knew he did a lot of good things. But when he started reeling off all the many things this young man had done to help other people, I mean, I, I didn't—I was shocked. Mm-hmm. And the guy's last statement was, you— you know you better be careful how you live your life you might be the only bible somebody reads
0: yeah oh, and if great. you
1: our jobs uh like basketball if you do it right and you and you ha- and you're you're a follower of jesus then coaching basketball is a ministry in itself mm-hmm. and that's sort of the way you have to have to approach it i think and and if you do that, you know you may not win every game, but you're gonna do a whole lot more winning than than what games are.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. If you know, as as we kind of begin to draw this thing kind of to a close, I I wanted to first ask you is if there was anything else specific you had to say, and if you were also, as a second question, is if you were if you were saying something to the people listening this about you know, how they could impact the world or what's made a difference in your life, what what you think people need to hear, what, what would you leave them with?
1: The old, like I tell my players all the time, love people. Mm-hmm. Try to build relationships and love people, you know. <laughs> and then don't be so hung up on material things. You know, just love people and use things. Not try to manipulate and use people. Yeah. Uh, and then, the old proverb about be what you is, because if you be what you ain't, you ain't what you is. <laughs> <laughs> you <know? laughs> um,
0: no, it's that really is great advice. I mean, it's so the, the the funny thing about that is it's so simple, but it's not. And the reason it's not is because loving people is really it's difficult to do, especially when they present as unlovable.
1: And we chase other things to love. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the problem.
0: Uh, you know, especially in our world, like yeah. we're talking about. That's we're we're distracted by so many things. Um, well, I can't I can't tell you how appreciative I am of how God has used you. I'm appreciative that you came on the show and have mm-hmm. uh, the show. This is a podcast. <laughs> we are not live. This is no show. <laughs> I should probably cut that yeah, out. Yeah, you probably <laughs> Or just leave it in. Let everybody <laughs> I don't laugh. Not all that to say. We, uh, what a blessing uh, to be here with you today. And I, and I'm, I'm thankful of how you let God use you. You may have looked at your life and said, you know, I'm, I'm nothing but a coach, and that is absolutely wrong. Uh, <laughs> you are a conduit for God. Amen. And uh,
2: we didn't get to even. You know, I know. And Ronnie didn't mention any of this, but you know, just if you if you were to look at the uh, resume of this guy, <laughs> uh, it just goes on and on. The three state championships, uh, four runner-up state championships, uh, final fours. I mean, and, and you're a member of the uh, Alabama Coach of the Year, member of the Alabama High School Association Hall of Fame, and also the Hall of Fame here in Huntsville, Madison County Athletic Hall of Fame. Ronnie, I, we're, we're just honored that you that you would do this and just share the wisdom. And I think you you display that humility you talk about by the the things you've said today and shared with us and with our folks. And I think uh, it's almost like, I I think if you make yourself available, God does some amazing things. He's done some amazing things in your life Mm -hmm. because you made yourself available to him.
0: Yeah.
1: Those Hall of Fame things, they don't mean anything. There's three Hall of Fames I want to be in. I want to be in my wife's. I hope hope I've done enough to be in it. (laughs) I want to be in my children's, and I want to be in God's.
2: Amen. Yes, you know, if
1: I can, if I, can, if I can make it last, when I'll be. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm a long way from it right now, but I'm, I'm striving to do, get there.
2: We're we're all the same same way.
0: We're all in the same boat for yeah. sure. Well, I'd love to to wrap us up with a prayer, and uh, I just want to say thank you for thank your time for having me today. today. Thank you. It's a blessing, God. We uh, we love you, and we are appreciative that you. Allow us to be called your people. We're thankful for the way you've used Ronnie, and I pray that there are people who will listen to this, who are listening to this right now, that are impacted by his story and know that they have a story and that their life is important, Father, and that they're called to love people, to love people that they're around, uh, to love themselves, too. To know that you have created and designed them for a purpose and that's to love people uh thank you for uh, the words that ronnie has spoken today i pray a special blessing over all his family um we're thankful for who you are and how you love us in jesus name amen. Amen. our stories of brokenness struggles failures and sin help others know that they are not alone and that while we as a church are imperfect and broken, God has the ability to take our stories and to make them into a story that shines the light back on Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. It's our hope that the people listening to this will find confidence in knowing that God can and will use your stories if you're willing to share it. We appreciate your comments and feedback on Unbroken Jars podcast. We'd also love to hear from you if you have a faith story you'd love to share. You can reach out to us at unbroken jars at gmail.com. Please understand that our goal is always to honor God by the experience of real life stories and real faith that you hear on this podcast. May God bless your life as you live out your story of real faith in your own settings.